Hi everybody, in this section of the podcast, myself, Mr Pless and Mr Cumming, two of the history teachers at St Matthews Academy, are going to talk about our experiences of actually going to Auschwitz uh, through the Holocaust Memorial Trust's uh, opportunities that they've managed to give the school over the last couple of years. And we'll also talk about how two of the pupils that Mr Cumming took in his year, uh, how they felt about it and also... Uh, the two pupils that came with me on the trip last year uh, about how we kind of felt after our experiences of actually uh, being at probably the most famous of the, the camps uh, when we kind of discussed the Holocaust. So really, kind of just to t start it off, a few years ago I'd applied for two of the places from the Lessons from Auschwitz project. Um, every school in Scotland is entitled to apply for this trip. Um, and when I came back after we'd, I'd applied in June, I think, in the last day of term, and when I came back in August, found there'd be two uh, places for the pupils to go, and I was put on the reserve list in a bit like Mr Place the following year. We were lucky that that reserve place turned into an actual place for the trip. So um, two years ago now, I took two pupils, uh, Kerry and Declan, to Auschwitz. You fly from Glasgow to Krakow, you then travel about an hour to the Polish town of Oswiecim, which which was then renamed Auschwitz, um, with which is the German name. Um, and I think, Mr. Place, your kind of experience was similar then. In yeah, general. very similar. I went with uh, Sean and Sasha last year, and again, same process, all done within a day. Very early start uh, that we went there, uh, arriving at the airport at six o'clock, and then coming back around about midnight. Uh, on the same day on the plane but what was kind of quite interesting mm -hmm. about kind of learning about the events that we were doing I thought was we actually had to do quite a lot of prep work uh, beforehand uh, where we actually went to a seminar which was most of the day on a Saturday uh, where we were actually starting to learn about uh, different aspects of, of the Holocaust uh, learning about the camp as well and uh, going through kind of various different kind of seminars uh, kind of discussing different parts of the Holocaust because our role really doing this was to be able to actually then teach other people about the Holocaust. Now obviously me and Mr Cumming, uh, being history teachers, we, we teach the Holocaust quite a lot with the second years, but it wasn't so much for us as the teachers, but for the young uh, students, okay, people who would have been in kind of fifth year or possibly sixth year, some young students as well were kind of part of this uh, project and this project actually went right across the country. So it was letting these young people who might have heard of the Holocaust, might have done a small uh, unit in it in one of their years at school, how would they be able to kind of stay true to actually what the teachings of the Holocaust were. And part of this uh, seminar was, for me, I don't know about you, Mr Cumming, but certainly for me, one of the most kind of interesting aspects was I was at, we were able to actually hear from a Holocaust survivor, not someone who had actually been in the camps, which is why I found it kind of so interesting, but uh, a woman who, as a young girl, had to basically be on the run from place to place uh, and telling us her experiences about how, through the kindness of other people at this time, uh, she managed to survive as we go through here. So, as always, the bell always seems to go when we do this. Uh, so we're just going to kind of keep on going through. We won't edit that part. Uh, did you have a, a guest speaker like that? Yeah, well? we were the same with a, with a guest speaker. Um, I think, obviously, when we had seen it in the, what was coming up, the itinerary for what we're going to have to do, um, I was kind of conscious. I was, it was quite a long part 
of the day, but I, I don't think it's it's really difficult to actually get across how important that preparatory part of it was. I think, and I was thinking Mr. Pless felt the same that that this was taken away from the, this was no longer a, a unit of work that you were studying. This was now this was a human thing. This was really you were kind of been transported into somebody's life and realizing you've always taught it as a as a story, but this really kind of brought it across how how much this had an impact on the people involved. And I think obviously the first time I was face to face with a Holocaust survivor, uh, really really hit home how how important this was and and how important the next step of of travelling to Poland actually was going to be. Um, I don't know, Mr. Place, in terms of we're going to jump now to thinking when we're actually in the camp. How? What were your kind of first impressions of all yeah, this? Yeah, what you're talking about, about the kind of impact to us, said we've been teaching for, for a number of years now, and actually teaching about Auschwitz and kind of feeling that I know it through well through textbooks and videos and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it was, you know, a real experience and a really kind of positive experience, which sounds maybe sounds strange to say. I've actually been at Auschwitz as the camp and actually sort of being able to actually see it physically. Uh, I'd seen so many kind of pictures and I thought I'd be mentally prepared for it but uh, it's some things just kind of get you some some things that you don't think are going to kind of hit hard uh, or at least you think you're prepared for I suppose is a better way of putting it but yet when you're there so for instance seeing the for me it was the amount of hair that had been cut uh, that was going to be getting used for because everything was getting used as kind of goods for the Nazis that but then finding out not so much seeing the volume of hair but actually seeing that this was such a small percentage of what was actually kind of getting used, it was just kind of incredible to think. It really hit home how many people were processed and Auschwitz just being one camp amongst many. Uh, really, kind of, that was kind of quite, quite important for me. I think, certainly for me, I mean, obviously I'd started teaching this course six and a half years ago when I came to St Matthews as part of the second year uh, topic. And um, one of the, the slides we always use, similar to Mr Place talking about, is, is the the cabinet full of the glasses and I've used it probably talking about about that about three times a year at least and I'm um, obviously been kind of aware of the size of it but that was the one time I, I must admit I had to almost kind of isolate myself from the rest of the group that I felt it was just a wee bit it was just too much it, I, I think you were expecting to see it but I think the fact that it was such a long corridor with glasses on both sides and a bit like Mr Place said I think they worked out it was 30,000 glasses which was just one day's takings which just shows you if that's one day amongst a whole year and that's one camp when there's other camps, it, it was a bit much for me to and kind of process. And you seem to point out as well that a lot of the, the, the stuff that is there is from the Hungarian Jews yeah. who were there. So actually, again, kind of much later on, was it about 43, 44, at the end of 43, into 44, that uh, this is where uh, the Hungarian Jews came in. So again, just as what you're seeing, which is massive, is still a small snapshot what was there. How did you feel when you actually saw Auschwitz Birkenau, the, the kind of the massive camp with the the, the gas chambers? Uh, again, it is one of these things that you think you're prepared for that you, you were I think it was the sheer size and, and obviously some of the kids who who have taught and will be listening to this. Um probably I say it's it's the size of it. It's the biggest thing I've ever seen that's man made that wasn't a city. And I think that the fact that you saw that the, the, the railway track that ended there and for some of the, the Jews and others who've been tra- having to be taken there, that could have been 10 days by a real car, a uh, cattle car, really, from places like Athens. You realise this was the end of the road. This was, this is you know, that was a kind of, a, almost a kind of mini-adventure for us to see it 
and it's a big part of your life. And as Mr. Place said, it's, sadly, it, you, you can use it for a, a lot of positive and a lot of good. For, for them, it, it wasn't. And I think that really, that kind of got to me as well. But absolutely massive. It's unbelievable the size of it. Yeah, definitely. For me, it was the, the processing of where uh, those who were going to be surviving, not getting straight to the concentration camps, uh, or to the uh, to the gas chamber, sorry, but into the camp, getting taken into the, the room where they would kind of get stripped, get their head shaved, get showered, and be given uh, their Auschwitz uh, uniform, uh, kind of famously, obviously, the striped pyjamas, uh, kind of walking through and kind of knowing what they did. Uh, I felt very kind of claustrophobic in that, and, and that yeah. was done there. Uh, how did you how did you feel that the pupils uh, what do you think they got from it well, leading on from that previous point I was making about the, the size of it certainly on the way back from um, the First Minister Nicola Sturgeon was there with a, a rabbi from London and did a small service at the railway track where it ends between the two uh, gas chambers that were destroyed at the end of the war um, on the way back I just remember Declan who was beside me at that point saying that he was really angry and I was asking him why and he said Look how big this is. He said, "How could anybody deny that this had happened?" Mm -hmm. And I think they, they handled it in a really mature way. I think everybody on it. I think that it was clearly had affected them. Um, but I also saw probably as we, we chatted and we back to the to the airport and then again on the plane back to Glasgow, I was conscious that they they were really keen. I think to do good with this and, and to use it to well benefit themselves and their family and, and friends but St Matthews and I think there was a real real desire to make sure that, that people were educated about this but really making sure that folk understood the human element of this. I thought that was really good when they came back, the final part of what they had to do was uh, kind of then what, what they'd learned from the Holocaust experience by going to Auschwitz uh, we had these assemblies I know Mr Cummins, uh, two pupils uh, had the assembly two years ago uh, my two pupils uh, last year uh, did it as well uh, and the importance of the teaching uh, of the Holocaust, obviously we've got uh, events like uh, Memorial uh, Day on the 27th of January every year, uh, Holocaust Memorial Day uh, on the 27th of January uh, in school. We obviously find it very, very important that we teach to the second years uh, the Holocaust unit. Uh, I was thinking as well, I don't know if you'd agree with us, uh, Mr Gunn, as well, we are probably the last generation where it's our grandparents and perhaps... the. It's not going to be long, just because of the amount of time where survivors, there's not going to be that many who are, yeah. are going to be still alive just due to uh, how long ago the Holocaust uh, yeah, was yeah. now. So how important is it? So when we teach to the second years, what is the kind of the hope? I think the hope is they'll, they'll take it on. And it's always one of the first questions we ask them at the beginning of the six weeks. And it's one of the, few, the last questions we ask them at the end of the six weeks is why do we teach it? And I, I think there's a real understanding, even from an early age, that this is to, to learn from the mistakes of the past. Because sadly, although there was the idea after the war was this would never happen again, things like this have happened in various countries throughout the world. And I think it's really impacted my teaching that it's so crucial for them to understand it. And I, and I think from the reaction we get from most of the pupils, I, I think it, it, it does. And it, obviously it's reinforced for pupils to then take history again in fourth year, even though we don't cover the Holocaust as part of the Nazi Germany unit, we do start looking at the, the treatment of Jews in the 30s and obviously then that has an impact on, on their understanding. So for me, certainly, that's that's the impact I think it has on the pupils. I would imagine you're probably similar with that. Yeah, I totally agree with what you say. I've not got kind of much more to, to add as I uh, kind of covered uh, most of that. But yeah, I think that importance yes. is, is very clear. 
thanks for listening, folks, to this. Uh, as you'll know through the rest, if you're listening to the rest of the podcast, we have got uh, uh, testament, I suppose is the word to use, yep. from uh, a very, very famous Holocaust survivor, uh, Eva Moses Kaur. Uh, we've given a, she, a book was kind of created, she died in 2019, a book was published just a, a year uh, afterwards about her life as a survivor. Uh, it's in the next few chapters, it's really uh, remarkable women, uh, and it, we talk about just obviously her experiences, but why she's kind of so incredible is that this is a woman who, despite what had happened, was actually able to kind of forgive what had happened to her over the Holocaust, and you'll actually see why. Uh, it's it's a real kind of incredible kind of lesson for us, uh, and she's got some kind of real kind of important messages that she, before she passed away that she wanted to kind of get across, and she's kind of spent the, the last part of her life, kind of last 20, 30 years of her life, dedicated to actually try to teach, to actually say, well, one of the lessons we want to learn is we can't always be angry at others. We need to make sure that we forgive for ourselves. It's important for that as well. So it's really worth kind of having a wee listen to that as well. Ava Moses Kaur was born in Romania in 1934. Along with her family, she was sent to Auschwitz-Birkenau Nazi concentration camp in Poland in 1944. Here she and her sister Miriam were sent to Dr Joseph Mengele, whose obsession with eugenics led him to experiment on and torture up to 1,500 twins, many of them children. When Ava and her family arrived at Auschwitz, they were immediately separated. Her parents and sisters were taken to the gas chambers, while Ava and her twin Miriam were herded into the care of Dr Joseph Mengele, later to become known as the Angel of Death. They were ten years old. At Auschwitz, twins were granted the privileges of keeping their own clothes and hair, but they were also subjected to Mengele's sadistic and dangerous medical experiments. Forced daily to fight for survival, many died as a result of the tests or from the disease and hunger rife in the camp. Ava and her twin Miriam survived Auschwitz. In her later life, Ava became a recognised speaker both nationally and internationally on topics related to the Holocaust and social justice. In 1985, she set up the Candles organisation to locate other Mengele twins and found 122 twins across the world. Ten years later, she opened the Candles Holocaust Museum in her hometown of Terre Haute, Indiana to educate the public about the historic event that she survived. A community leader, champion of human rights and tireless educator, Ava has been covered in numerous media outlets, especially when she made headlines by publicly forgiving the Nazis for what they'd done to her, the subject of a 2006 documentary, Forgiving Dr Mengele. Ava passed away in 2019. As part of Ava's story, I'm going to read Chapter 3, which looks at her arrival at the concentration camp and her separation from her family. Mama grabbed Miriam and me by her hands, we lined up side by side in the concrete platform. The smell hit me, a foul odour I had never, ever smelled before. It reminded me of burned chicken feathers. At home on the farm, after plucking the chickens, we would singe off the last of the little feathers over a flame to clean it. But here the stink was overpowering. It was as if you walked through it, around in it. It was everywhere and inescapable. I did not find out right away what the smell really was. The place was confusing and noisy. People were yelling, there were screams, confusion, desperation, barking, orders, crying, crying, crying. The crying of children for parents, crying of parents for their babies, 
The crying of people confused and bewildered. The crying of people who saw with uncertainty that their nightmares had come true. Altogether, the cries resounded with the ultimate and most imaginable pain of human loss, emotional grief and suffering. I felt it as though I was watching things happen to someone else. Here and there, I glimpsed layers of barbed wire fences, bright Klieg lights and rows of buildings. The SS guards strode among the groups of people as if searching for something. Suddenly I felt like I landed in my body again. I looked around. I felt Miriam's quaking frame next to, me, to mine. But where was Papa? And where was my older sisters? Edith and Elise. I searched desperately, holding tightly to my mother's and my twin's hand in a death grip. I could not find the rest of my family. After four days of such close proximity to my older sisters and Papa, in my bewilderment, and confusion, I had lost them. I never saw them again. I held tightly to Mama's hand. An SS guard rushed by. He was calling out in German. Twins, twins. He barreled past us, then stopped short, whirled around and came back. He stood in front of us. His eyes travelled back and forth from Miriam's face to mine, up and down our marching burgundy dresses. Are they twins? He asked Mama. She hesitated. Is that good? Yes, said the guard. They are twins, replied Mama. Without one word, he grabbed Miriam and me, tearing us away from Mama. We screamed and cried as we were dragged away. We begged him to let us stay with her. The German guard paid no attention to her pleas. He pulled us across the railroad tracks, away from the selection platform. I turned my head and saw my mother, desperate, her arms outstretching toward us, wailing. A soldier grabbed her and threw her in another direction. My mama disappeared into the crowd. After that, everything happened quickly, so quickly. Guards separated people on the selection platform into groups. One group of young men and women, and another children and older people. Miriam and I held on to each other as we were brought to join a group of 13 sets of twins who had come from our tra train transport. 26 children, all frightened and confused. A guard brought a mother and her twins to stand with their group. I recognised her. It was Mrs Consegri, wife of the storekeeper in Simlu, Sylvani, the town near our village. Her twin daughters were eight years old and when we shopped at their store, she and Mama liked to talk about the problems of raising twins. She and her girls stayed with their group. Why had the guards let their mother come with them and not ours with us? I did not have time to ponder that question much before things started happening again. After an hour, the SS guard led us to a big building near the barbed wire fence. As soon as we entered the building, we were ordered to undress. I felt numb again, not part of my own body. This was all a nightmare, right? It would end the second I opened my eyes and Mama would be there to comfort me, right? But I was not dreaming. All of us were given short haircuts. The barber explained that the twins received privileged treatment. We were allowed to keep some hair. Luckily, I had learned some German so I could understand what was being said on a basic level. As I watched their long braids fall to the floor, I did not feel so very privileged. Next, we took showers. Our clothes had been fumigated with some sort of anti-lice chemical and we were returned to us. Wearing our own clothes was another privilege we twins got that the other prisoners did not. Miriam and I put on our dresses. 
but now each had a big red cross painted on the back. I instantly hated that red cross in my dress. Wearing the dress did not feel like a privilege. I knew that the yellow star that we were forced to wear before and all other Jews had to wear in the ghettos, the Nazis were using that red cross to mark us so that we would not escape. In 1995, Ava returned to Auschwitz for the 50th anniversary of the liberation of the camp. In this chapter, we'll learn of how Ava felt about asking to forgive those who had committed such unimaginable cruelty and crimes during the Holocaust. So I returned from Germany and I was so glad that I would have an original document witnessed and signed by a Nazi. A participator, not a survivor and not a liberator to add to the historical collection of information we were preserving for ourselves and for future generations. I was so grateful that Dr Munch was willing to come with me to Auschwitz and sign that document about the operation of the gas chambers and I wanted to thank him. But what does one give a Nazi doctor and how can one thank a Nazi doctor? For ten months I pondered this question. All kinds of ideas popped into my head until I finally thought, how about a simple letter of forgiveness from me to him? forgiving him for all that he'd done. I knew immediately that he'd appreciate it, but what I discovered once I made the decision was that forgiveness is not so much for the perpetrator, but for the victim. I had the power to forgive. No one could give me this power, and no one could take it away. That made me feel powerful. It made me feel good to have any power over my life as a survivor. I began writing my letter and came up with several versions, working through a lot of pain. Concerned about my spelling, I called my former English professor to correct my letter. We met a few times and she asked me to think about forgiving Dr Mengele as well. At first I was shocked, but later I promised her that I would, for I realised that I had the power even to forgive the angel of death. Whoa, I thought, it makes me feel good that I can do that. I have that power and I'm not hurting anyone with it. We arrived in Auschwitz on January 27th, 1995. Dr Munch came with his son, daughter and granddaughter and I came with my son, Alex Corr, and my daughter, Rina. Dr Munch signed his document. Then I read my own personal statement of forgiveness and I signed it. Immediately, I felt that a burden of pain had been lifted from my shoulders, a pain that I'd lived with for 50 years. I was no longer a victim of Auschwitz, no longer a victim of my tragic past. I was free. I also took that moment to forgive my parents, whom I'd hated all my life, for not protecting us from Auschwitz, for not saving us from growing up as orphans. I finally understood that they had done the best that they could do. I also forgave myself for hating my parents in the first place. Anger and hate are seeds that germinate war. Forgiveness is a seed for peace. It is the ultimate act of self-healing. I look at forgiveness as, as the summit of a very tall mountain. One side is dark, dreary, wet and very difficult to climb. But those who struggle up and reach the summit can see the beauty of the other side of the mountain which is covered in flowers, white doves, butterflies and sunshine. Standing at the summit, we can see both sides of the mountain. How many people would choose to go back down on the dreary side rather than stroll through the sunny flower-covered side? I've given over 3,000 speeches throughout the world, written two books and contributed three chapters and three other books. I hope to teach young people the life lessons I've learned through all my pain and everything I've been through and survived. Never ever give up on yourself or your dreams, for everything good in life is possible.
judge people on their actions and the content of their character. And forgive your worst enemy and forgive everyone who has hurt you. It will heal your soul and it will set you free. We've got Sean and Kerry in a minute or two going to speak to us about their experience when they went to the Lessons from Auschwitz trip. I asked the two of them why they wanted to go on this trip to share a few memories and experiences that affected them when they were there and what they learned about the Holocaust during this trip and why they still think it's important that we learn about this massive event as we head towards Holocaust Memorial Day. My name is Sean and I went on the Auschwitz trip on the 7th of November in 2019. I wanted to go on the trip because it's a once in a lifetime experience that I just couldn't miss out on. And to see Auschwitz in real life was a must for me while I was studying history in school. The trip was definitely very impactful. It was a lot to take in in such a short time, due to the fact that it was a 24 hour trip. Being there was like looking through a window of time. It's nothing like you would expect it to be. The sights seen there are inconceivable and shocking. It's something that you have to see with your own eyes to understand the scale of the events that took place there at all the separate camps and subcamps. I believe learning about the Holocaust is important still, because forgetting about the suffering and genocide of our people is just unacceptable. And you hear less and less people talking about it as time goes on. So it's great to have at least one day a year to really focus and remember those who undeservingly lost their lives during the Holocaust and to celebrate for those who survived. Hello, my name is Kerry and I'm a former pupil of St Matthew's Academy. And I was chosen to go on a school trip to Outswitch in October 2018, and this is a trip I will never ever forget. There were many reasons why I wanted to go on the trip to Outswitch, but the main reasons were to experience the camps for myself and my interest from learning about the Holocaust in my history class. The most harrowing part of the whole day for me was walking through the rooms with all the personal belongings and items from all the people who were taken to Outswitch. Luggage, suitcases, glasses, shoes and even prosthetic legs. All belongings were taken from the people as soon as they arrived and all the things they'd worked hard for and needed in everyday life. The most heartbreaking thing for me to see was all the baby clothes as I instantly thought of my younger family members and how it would feel from, to have them separated from me. Before I went on the trip, people had told me that there was no sign of wildlife in or near the camps and this was very hard to believe, but this was very hard to believe before I'd seen it for myself. There was no wildlife at all, not even any birds in the sky. It was extremely eerie and strange to see this. One thing that we'll always remember is Mr Cummins, my history teacher, saying about the size of the camps. In all, of, all his years of teaching about the Holocaust and looking at maps and pictures of the camps, you never actually realise how big they are. Visiting Outswitch was one of the most amazing yet heartbreaking experiences I have ever had. It was an extremely thought-provoking experience, and to be able to walk the path and be in the same place where millions of people lost their life in one of the biggest mass genocides in history, and it's a trip I will never ever forget. It is important to learn about the Holocaust history and what happened so that it never ever happens again. Everyone who lost their lives will be my thoughts this Holocaust Memorial Day on the 27th of January. A big thank you to Holocaust Educational Trust and Mr Cummins for the trip 
It's definitely once of a lifetime and I recommend it to everyone who asked me about it.